The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning, everyone. So good to be with you. Glad you're here. Um, everyone who's in the room, we're so thankful to see your faces. And uh, everybody who's tuning in uh, from all over the place, we're glad you're out there as well. And uh, if I could take the liberty to especially say hello to my wife and my kids and my family who are watching from a distance, I love you. Uh, can't wait to see you again. Our text for today is going to be Second John. So if you want to turn in your Bibles or your device, whatever you're using, we're going to have a look at Second John today. Uh, amazingly, Second John can be found in between First and Third John. Hopefully that's helpful to you. But our text, God's Word, Second John, we'll be looking at the entire letter, all 13 verses. So again, our text is 2 John. Let's hear God's word together. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him anything, any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Uh, instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is God's word. One of the most famous songs in the world begins like this. Maybe you've heard it. There's nothing you can do that can't be done. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. Does anyone know what comes next? All you need is love. All you need is love. It's easy. Of course, that's all you need is love by the Beatles. And I suppose, in a way, the Beatles were right. All we need is love. I don't think I've ever met anyone who's explicitly anti-love. I don't think I've ever preached a sermon on love and had people come up and say, we're not sure about this. We're down on love. No, in fact, 
Um, some people even say all religions are the same because all religions tend to say, hey, we should love one another. I, I know non-religious people who think we should love one another. Everybody kind of knows it from the conscience, don't we? We need to love. We ought to love. But here's a major problem, and I guess the irony. We all sort of know we should love, but is love easy? You tell me. Look around at our world, our country, our relationships. We're reeling from a lack of love. Look around. Tell me, from politics to race relations to our personal lives, love is easy? I don't think so. So it's a question of utmost importance, isn't it? Utmost importance. We know we should love. We know we don't love. How do we actually grow in truly loving? Could there be a more important question? How do we grow in truly loving? And the answer to that we will find in 2 John. Uh, if you're new with us, we recently finished 1 John. And so what do we do next? Now's the time, right? 2 John. Um, so we're going to be in 2 John. And what a perfect letter for our time. The apostle wants Christians to walk in love. Live a lifestyle of love. Okay. But how and what does that mean? We're going to see something here that's so important and it's counterintuitive to our culture. And it's essential for love. John is going to say that to truly live in love, you must really love the truth. I'll say that again. To truly live in love... You must really love the truth. In 2 John, love and truth go together. They're married. They're one. They're two sides of the same coin. True love, John will say, comes from loving the truth. And in fact, John will say, you only know the truth when you actually love. So we have four steps for walking in love, I think, from this text. Four steps for walking in love. I think they're really important. So I want to walk through just the steps with you. Hopefully you can get them in your mind and keep them as we walk through the text. Number one, we've got to see the truth about love. We must see the truth about love. Number two, after we see the truth about love, we'll see how a life of love grows out of the soil of that truth. You've got to see the truth about love, see how a life of love grows out from the truth, Three, we need to see how love depends on the truth for it to be love. Love needs the truth. There is no love without the truth. So love depends on the truth for it to be love. And then fourth, we're going to see how we love others by loving the truth. The way to love others is to love the truth. So there's my four steps again. I want to tell you one more time. I want to see the truth about love. See how a life of love grows out from the truth. See how love depends on the truth for it to be love. And then finally, see how we love others by loving the truth. So let's begin. We'll see the truth about love. 1 John 5.1, you see you've got an elder writing to an elect lady. And then later he's saying, hey, we must love one another. So you might wonder, is this an ancient love letter? You got an old guy writing an old fling and he calls her my elect lady. And he's like, let's, all we need is love, right? No, that's not it at all. 
Who's the elder? Well, it's the Apostle John. He's given, he, he was witness to the life of Jesus. Jesus made him an apostle, gave him authority to proclaim the news about who Jesus is and what he's done. And the elect lady is most likely not an individual. It's a local church. It's a local church. That makes sense later when he says your elect sister greets you. It's another local church. Every local church is the elect lady. What does that mean? Well, a word, the word elect, what does that mean? Chosen. Somebody out there wanted this lady for his own lady. What does that give you the idea of? Somebody's valued and treasured. Do you see in this title, John is calling these group of people, you are those who are loved. You are loved. And he says after that, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Did you catch a connection there? You are loved because of the truth that is in you forever. How does How does love and truth work together? We see that it does. We're unpacking this. What does this mean? Well, you see how how this truth will be with us forever in verse 3. Verse 3 is so precious. John says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. How is it? That the truth abides in us forever? Well, it means that grace will be with us forever. What's grace? Do you know that word? Undeserved, lavish love. God's love will be with you forever if you're a part of his elect lady. Mercy, what's that? It's, a, it's when someone sees your need and steps in to meet your need and compassion. God's mercy will be with his elect lady, his church forever. Peace. It's the idea of shalom or thriving everything as it should be because God is your God forever. Love is ours forever. And who's it from? Did you see? God the Father and Jesus Christ the Father's Son. This reminds us, John has told us, God is love. In his triunity, the Father eternally loves the Son. The Son eternally loves the Father. The Spirit is the eternal person of their eternal love. God is love and has loved his people. And friends, this is the truth about love. This is the reality of love. And let's just remember, it's very important. How is it that you and I could be so loved by this God? How is it that you could be called part of the elect lady? How is it that you make it into the church, the bride of Christ? How is it that you know you're loved? A lot of people today think, well, of course he loves me. Have you seen how awesome I am? They wouldn't say it that explicitly. But if you ask, it's like, well, I'm a good person. Of course, God's God's job is to love me. I want to ask you, is that how you see the truth of God's love? Did you earn it? Is it because you're so fantastic? That's not what the Bible says. I don't think that's what experience says either. Remember how we all know we ought to love? Remember? 
Uh, what, are the, what are the two great commands? Jesus said, love God with all you are, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love who else? Your neighbor with what passion? As you love yourself. How do you do with that standard? Have you always loved God with everything? According to his word, have you always loved your neighbor as yourself? I'm a pastor of a church. I've been a Christian a long time. I fail at this standard. I have not met this standard. And God, because he is love, the loving judge of the world owes me his wrath for not loving. You realize that's the reality we are in. How is it that we can be loved? We're going to see deeper now into the truth about love. Deeper. 1 John 4.10. John starts this sentence, In this is love. See, so do you want to see it? You want to see the truth about love? The ultimate picture of love? In this is love, not, not what? Not that we have loved God, but that he, even as we did not love him, loved us. And to what extent? He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means atoning sacrifice. It means substitute. That Jesus came from his eternal throne and became human. And lived a perfect life in order to go to a cross for my lack of love and your lack of love. So that all who trust in him can be forgiven, can be made right. The, the heights of the beauty of Jesus coming to the totally undeserving and paying such a cost, the cost of the cross, that's love. That's the truth about love. And now look at the love we enjoy as those who trust in Jesus to save us from our sins. 1 John 3, 1. See, behold, be amazed by. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that what? We should be called children of God, and so we are. Do you see the truth about love? Ultimate reality is a triune God who is love and has made all things. And love is seen especially in his gracious love for his people, in giving up his son to bring us to himself. This is love, and you will never see a greater picture of love or a greater example of love. This is it. This is the ultimate. And this is the truth about God and the truth about love. It has massive implications, doesn't it? Massive implications. Um, I wonder sometimes how people know there is such a thing as love. Imagine being kind of an agnostic about things or about God and talking about love. I mean, do you have, do you have agnostic friends? They, they aren't Christians. They aren't sure about God. Of course, they, they live in love, right, in some ways to their friends or their family. Of course, they believe in love in some ways. But, but I don't know, ask, do you always feel loving? I know some of you fairly well, and I don't think you always feel loving. I know I don't always feel loving. Is love a feeling? And if love is a feeling, then is it real, or is it just the, the, the breeze blows across my orientation to the world? What is love? Is it, is it actually real? The reality of a triune loving God who gave up his son shows us that love is essentially real. It's at the core of the reality of the universe. 
Love is real. Without the truth about God, we have no anchor point for love at all. Not only that, the truth about God shows us the reality of our brokenness and our sin. Because his standard is love. It is. And it shows that when we don't love him or our neighbor, we're guilty under that standard. But it also shows us that grace and salvation is real and true. Jesus actually historically came in love to save his people. Love is true. This is the truth about love. We know love from the truth about God in the gospel. Do you see that? That's how we see love. So now we get to our second idea for the day. If we know this love, John says, a life of love will grow out from this truth. John says, if you know this truth and not just know about it, but your heart has trusted in this truth, God who has sent his son to save you. If, you're, if you know that truth, out of the soil of that truth, a life of love will certainly grow. You see this in verses 4 to 5. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I'm writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning. What's the command? Love one another. How are Christians to live in our inclination toward the world, but especially towards one another? What's the main command? Love. Love. Jesus said they'll know you're Christians by your what? Your love. Your love. John says to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, but not only I, but also those who know the truth. Did you see that? He said Christians love one another if they know the truth. Those who know the truth about love live the truth about love and love for one another. It must be so. In 1 John, one of the tests that you know you're a real Christian, what was it? One of the tests was that you're growing in love for other believers. To where John would say, if you refuse to love other believers, we're not sure you know the truth about love. 1 John 3.16. John emphasizes this. New life to an old command. 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love. He laid down his life for us. And what does that mean for us? We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Just meditate for a moment on the nature of Jesus' love. The cost of his love. Did he love you again because you deserved it? It was quite the opposite. Romans 5, uh, while we, God proves his love for us in this, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And yet, as you see Jesus' love, now test your own heart and how your own heart works in love. What do you think? Is it easier to love for you to love your friends who are nice to you and your immediate family? Yeah? Is there anyone in your life who's distinctly hard to love? Maybe it is some of your immediate family. Ponder for a moment people in your life where it's like you think of them, you get bitter coffee face. Hard to love. Hard to love. How are you going to forgive that person? Forgiveness is one aspect of love, right? How are you going to forgive that person? If you dwell on their deserving or how they never really apologized to you, or how they never made up for what they did, guess what you're going to have a really hard time doing? 
you won't forgive. That plant of love dies. How are you going to love? Well, if you turn your mind to a different channel, and instead of pondering that person's deserving, ponder your undeserving and the nature of Jesus' love for you and how he's forgiven you despite your undeserving by grace, the more you treasure his love for you and giving him, he gave himself up for you, the more you treasure that, guess what that's going to incline your heart to do? You'll love. You'll grow in loving. You'll forgive. You'll grow in forgiving. Do you see the, the soil of the truth of God's love is the source of how a life of love grows? You've got to have the truth about love for your life of love to grow. So we see again truth and love, they're so intimately connected. We know love from the truth about God and the gospel and how he is loved. And our lives of love grow out of the deep knowledge of that truth. Now we see, so we've seen, we know love from the truth. A life of love grows up from the truth about love. Now we see how love depends on the truth to be love. I think this is really important for our lives Today, look at verse six. First John, or sorry, Second John six. And this is love that. If you were guessing, what do you think he's going to say? This is love that. You know what he says? This is love that we walk according to his commandments. Our, our cultural idea of love and truth doesn't get this, right? How does the culture see love? Love is something you fall into, I suppose. Love is a feeling. Love is accepting and tolerant, right? But truth, what's that? Uh, truth draws lines. Truth is harsh, threatening, controlling. We get the feeling, though, don't we, that love and truth aren't really friends, they want to stay, stay apart. The more truthful you get, the less loving you are. The more loving you are, maybe the less you care about things like truth. John says, the more you deny truth, the more you'll deny love. Because love finds its freedom in the truth. Truth sets love free to be love. You know, people find truth to be uh, constraining, to take away freedom. Can we think about that for a moment? I think it's reality that true freedom always comes with restrictions. That's what I want to propose to you. True freedom always comes with restrictions. Uh, anybody remember Michael Phelps? Won like 10,000 gold medals. Okay. Couldn't we say that in the pool, he is free in a way we are not, especially when he was in his prime, right? He flies through the pool, we float in the pool. He's free in the pool in a way we are not. But you realize that's because he had massive amounts of restrictions that none of us had. While he was working and working and working on Saturday mornings, we were sleeping in and eating Krispy Kremes. We had freedom he didn't have. 
We weren't working hard. We weren't as careful with our diets. We're free, but we're restricted. When we get in the pool, we're not that fast. He's free in the pool. He's fast because he restricted himself, his time, his efforts. Friend, ponder this. This is always true. One young man might want to live in uh, what he considers to be sexual freedom and experiment. And he says, I'm free. But you know what? He's restricted. He doesn't know. But by God's grace, I know. Which is the freedom of safe, trusting, committed love with one person. And sure, I have restrictions. I'm restricted to the one person. And you know what? I'm happy as a clam and totally free in the midst of those restrictions. Freedom always comes with restrictions. The question is, is it good freedom? And are they the right restrictions? I've been trying to jog more lately, and I'm taking my dog, Oakley, on jogs. And, of course, when we jog, she wears a leash. And isn't that cruel of me, right, to make her wear a leash? I'm constraining her. I'm keeping her from being free. But if we ran down Hyle Avenue and somebody on the other side of Hyle Avenue had a dog, guess what my joyful, loving dog would do? She would go run to meet that dog and get run over. What do my constraints do for her? They set her free to live a happy life. But you know what's really cool lately? Is the more I run with her, sometimes she runs next to me like there's no leash at all. And now the constraint has become her own sense of freedom. She wants to run right there next to me. I was thinking, that's a, that's a wonderful picture of a Christian walking in love. God's commands are love. And yes, they do give restrictions, but there are restrictions that lead to freedom. Look at what Paul says in Romans 13, 8 to 10. Romans 13, 8 to 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment. Do you see that? Any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is why I say love depends on truth. It depends on truth, the truth of God's commands. As we walk in God's truth, we are able to love. But the more we deny God's truth, the more we are incapable of actually loving and I want you to think about our nation and our culture this afternoon. Ponder how we are flailing at this point. For instance, right now we know some things are wrong, but we are so disjointed from the truth, we don't have a good answer as to why they are wrong or how to fix them because our idea of love is not grounded in the truth and therefore cannot be very loving at all. Because love and truth go together. 
This is what we've seen so far. We know love from the truth about God and the gospel and how he is loved. And a life of love grows out from knowing that truth. That's how we love one another. And third, we've just seen love is dependent on the truth. The truth is the freedom for us to actually love. And that's why we'll conclude with this point. It is a loving thing to love the truth. A loving thing. Did you notice a change in the letter? In the beginning, it's like love, 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 love everyone. And at the end, he says, hey, there's some people. Do not let them into your house. Don't serve them dinner. Don't even say hi to them. Did you notice that? And so you can think, hold on, did you? Was this love or was this not love? What are you talking about? And then to make it worse, it even seems like, oh, um, don't have people who aren't Christians over for dinner. Don't wave at them. Don't say hi. Is, is that what he... Is that what he means? What's going on here? Well, a little context goes a long way. In the ancient world, it was normal uh, for religious movements and Christianity as well to have itinerant preachers. So, so those who would preach and teach about Jesus would come, and they would want to visit the, you know, the local churches that met in homes or what have you, and they need a place to stay. And, and hospitality was such a value to early Christians that, well, where, where does the teacher who comes to teach stay? He stays in your house. Maybe the church meets in your house. So it was normative to host a visiting teacher so that teacher could teach the Bible or, or what have you. But when you see what's going on here, it begins to make more sense because what's the problem? Well, look at verse 7 to see what kind of people John is saying don't have them over for dinner. Verse 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So you're going to see what's happening. There are some itinerant teachers who claim to be Christian, but then their message is, denies who Jesus is and what he came to do. They don't confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. We don't know the exact details of what these false teachers were teaching, but we can see enough. Unpack this phrase with me. They don't confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. First of all, they don't confess the coming. What is... What does coming make you think of? I don't speak of my birthday in this way. I have come to the world, you know, to bless them. As if I was somewhere else and now I've arrived. That's not the way I speak of it. We speak of Jesus as coming. Jesus says things like, I have come in order to. I visited from another place. You see what this means? This alludes to the reality that he's the eternal son of God who has come to save. And how has he come? He's come in the flesh. What's that mean? He's really, truly human. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was born. He was a baby. He was a child. He grew. He's actually, factually human. Now, some ancient heresies had the idea that there was a normal human guy, Jesus of Nazareth, and maybe the Christ spirit fell upon him for a little bit, and he taught, and then right before he died, the spirit left. It's not as popular in today's world, but... It, it's been around before. It could have been this was the kind of teaching. But in any way, in some way, they're denying both the, his divinity 
and his humanity together in order to save. They're denying that the Christ has come in the flesh. Christ, what does that mean? How would you unpack that word Christ? It's not Jesus' last name, right? It's a title. You could, you could summarize it like this, promised king, promised the entire Old Testament getting you ready for Jesus. He's coming. This is what he's going to be like. This is what he's going to do. And part of his role as king, the major part of his role as king, is that he will die and rise for the sins of his people. You begin to see what these false teachers are denying. They're denying the gospel. They're claiming to be Christian and undercutting what God has done in Christ to save. So let me just ask you, if you're a Christian, how precious to you are the realities that Jesus is eternally the Son of God who came in flesh to live a perfect life and save you by dying from your sins and rising from the dead? Is that important to you at all? Do you realize what's at stake here? We started by saying you have to see the truth about love. The coming of Jesus in the flesh is the truth about love. And if you lose that, you lose everything. The second thing we saw was a life of love grows out of the knowledge of that truth. Are you going to love people by grace without a love of the gospel? The truth about love is compromised by these teachers, and a life of love is compromised by these teachers. Moreover, we saw that love is set free to be loved by the truth, and if you deny the truth, everything is at stake. I want you to see the connection between verses 6 and 7. John says in verse 6, This is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So love one another by walking in the commandments. What's the first word in verse 7? For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Do you see the connection? Love is threatened by the false teaching. Love is threatened. And so... What do we do when love is threatened by false teaching? We love our neighbor by loving the truth. John loves these churches. That's why he warns them. Look what he says in verse 8. Watch yourselves. Have a look at yourself. What do you believe right now about Jesus and what he's done? Is it possible that we're supporting sometimes things that claim to be Christian and deny the gospel? Watch yourselves. Why does John warn them? It's not because he's mean or self-righteous. Look, so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Why does he take a stand for the truth? What's he want for these people he loves? He wants you to win the full reward. He wants you to make it all the way to God's face. He wants you to have eternal life forever and ever. He wants you to, to stay belonging to Jesus. His motive is love. We love others by loving the truth. Look how serious this is. Verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead. See, they've given up the constraint there. The constraint of truth. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So what does this mean then? 
Verse 10, 11, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, don't receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So the point is, don't take part in their, part in their wicked works. And what's the wicked works? Claiming to be Christian while denying the reality of the gospel. So does this mean you shouldn't have your unbelieving friends over for dinner? Of course not. Of course not. Does this mean you shouldn't greet people who disagree with you theologically? Of course not. Does this have anything to do with not showing regular love or hospitality to all the kinds of people in your life? No, he's not speaking to that at all. What he's speaking to is this. The most unloving thing you can do is support any movement that claims to be Christian and denies the gospel. That's where we draw the line. Because these are teachers who want to come in and teach their views. And so in this case, hospitality would support their work. And Sean says we can have no part in that because they deny truth and they deny love. So it would be wicked actually to join them. Love here takes a stand. We love our neighbors by loving the truth. And aren't you so glad that our Christian forefathers and foremothers for thousands of years have done this? Are you glad you get to know the real and actual gospel? Despite all the attacks, all the twisting, somebody stood, somebody held fast, somebody told the truth about Jesus, and that's why we know it. That's why we know his love. So just to sum it up, first, Second John 1.4, I rejoice greatly, John says, to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And then later he says, I want to meet you face to face for our joy. Do you see what his ultimate point is? Joy? What's that? Do you remember? Deep sense of happiness. Because you belong to God and he belongs to you. Joy. How does that joy come? Love. God's love. So I guess it's true. All we need is love. As long as you're thinking of the ultimate love that comes from the triune God who is love, who sent Jesus, who gave himself up for us in love. That's all we need. Is it easy? I don't think it'll ever be easy. But when we know the truth about the gospel, we can grow in truly loving one another from that gospel. We can truly love in the truth of God's commands and love others by loving the truth. It's not easy, but in Jesus, it's real. It's possible, and it leads to joy. Let's truly love because we love the truth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your truth, the truth that's in your word, the truth that no one could ever invent, that, that must and has been revealed to us. And we thank you for the truth of Jesus, that though we were such rebels and sinners against you, you have loved us in ways we cannot describe so graciously, so freely. And we thank you for our Lord and Savior who came and gave himself up for us, for our salvation. Um, he loved us in truth to the point of dying on a cross for our sins. 
move our hearts to trust and love him. And may we live out of the love he has shown us in our love for one another. Let us be ready to sacrifice ourselves and give ourselves up for the better of our brothers and sisters in the world at large. But help us do this in wisdom. Help us to do it in the freedom and the constraint of your word and your truth. And most of all, help us to love this truth that abides in us forever, knowing that as we cling to the gospel, we are loved and no one can take us from your hand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.com.